What's up, bingers? As you all know, in October here at True Crime Binge, we're doing our very best to help bring awareness to the epidemic of domestic violence in our country during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And today's episode is no exception. My guest in this episode is the host of a brand new podcast that will be launching tomorrow, October 21st. She is the host and creator of the upcoming Believe Her podcast. Please welcome Justine Vanderloo. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. So, uh, Justine, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. I just, I just, I got to have uh, one of the perks of being the true crime binge host is I get sneak peeks of podcasts, and I just spent the last hour listening to episode one of your upcoming show, Believe Her, and I'm already hooked. Great. That's what we want. <laughs> that was the idea, right? That, you didn't want me to I mean, to like, yeah, that's the this plan. Is garbage. <laughs> yeah. Don't care about the next thing. Don't want to know any more yeah. about it. That's yeah. enough. <laughs> really good. And this is this is very timely for us when this airs. Um, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Great timing for the release of your show. And we at True Crime Binge were trying to to highlight some domestic violence cases during this month. So the timing is is working out perfectly. But we'll, we'll get into the the case in a minute. First, I want to let the audience know a little bit about you. So I'm speaking with Justin Vanderloon, and I had to write that in my phonetic spelling so that I. Right. Just you're not Justin. Not Justin. You got <laughs> you, the last name, but then the I first spent, one. <laughs> I spent five minutes before we started recording making sure I spelled out exactly how to pronounce your last name. You got it right. You, you did. Right. Yeah. Justine Vanderloon. Right. Uh and uh you are you're an independent journalist. Tell us a little bit about your I have a whole list of of your C V, but you'll be better off explaining to us uh, you know, who you are, what your background is before you became a podcaster or about to become a podcaster once people get to hear your show. Yeah, and do I count as a po- I count as a podcaster? I've never identified as a podcaster. It's my Listen, p- people ask that all the time. They're like, "Well, I'm not a professional. I'm not a podcaster. Right. I just made a podcast." But the entire industry is full of I'm a fireman. Uh this, you know, like right. everybody just makes one and then I think we're just all podcasters. Well, then I'm a podcaster. Welcome a- to the club. Thank you. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm a journalist. Um, I'm a podcaster. For the past three years, I've been working almost exclusively on issues concerning sort of the intersection of women and the criminal legal system, mm-hmm. um, particularly how and why women end up in prison, which I think is sort of a very ill understood Topic. So that's been kind of my focus looking at that specifically of 230,000 women in prison in America, women and girls in correctional facilities in America. So that's a quarter, almost a quarter million people. It's more than anyone, any other country in the world. And that's kind of been my focus for the last three years. Um, Prior to that, I was writing about immigration. I did a, a book about actually a murder case in South Africa at the end of apartheid. Yeah. (laughs) 
Those are the <laughs> highlights, I guess, the most recent highlights. So you've got you've got a few books that I as I see you wrote a book called uh, We Are Not Such Things. Right. Yeah, that's about South Africa. Okay. Uh, and then what do I have? Marcus of Umbria. What an Italian dog taught an American girl about love. <laughs> that was a different life, but yes, yes. That and I like actually hard hitting journalism. Hard hitting journalism. And I actually also prior to that <laughs> co-wrote the memoir of an Italian wine seller. But that okay. was long ago. You know, that was a and I wasn't a journalist then. I I was just like, I didn't even think you could be that. I just happened to become one sort of accidentally when I was doing the uh-huh. book in South Africa. And I was like, I'm so nosy and I'm so obsessive. <laughs> and I really want to go up to everyone that I think seems interesting and be like, can I ask you all the questions about your life? It's not appropriate. But if you're a journalist, <laughs> it's appropriate. In fact, it's necessary. You mean you can't just go around doing that to people? You can't do that in real life if you're just a <laughs> civilian. However, if you're a journalist, you can say, can I see all your papers? Can I look through everything? <laughs> Um, can I put this together and can you just tell me your deepest secrets for years? And people are like, I guess so, you know, okay. So you're a journalist. Um, you're a journalist. I wonder if that yeah. works for podcasters now that you, now that you're a podcaster, if you can say, I am a podcaster. I, I seem to have good, people tell me shit that they definitely shouldn't tell me all the time. I mean, or maybe <laughs> they should tell you, you know, maybe they should, right. right? I'll keep it at that. Like, you should tell us, tell us. Right. Tell the podcasters tell all everything of us that everything, we want to know. Right. Of course, if a journalist were to call me, I'm like, no comment. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> I spent 16 years as a firefighter, so that was my classic. You know, they show up at every fire, and that's what – that was always our response, no contest. But that was only because we always had – if you ended up on the news, the nightly news after a fire, then you had to buy the whole crew dinner. So – we would avoid that was our rule so we had to we all avoided the press altogether but that's that was a policy or a an informal no, policy no. that was an informal policy could it be pizza or did it have to be like appetizers and like sec, you know main courses cuz i feel like for pizza i might do it but if i had to buy everybody all anything off the menu it would be a deterrent right well i mean it's it's dinner at the firehouse so we lived we lived there you know 24 hour shift so I mean, we—I don't know if you've ever been to a firehouse, but not a lot of appetizers being served. There's usually just big, giant, unhealthy meals. Is what we're cooking or or buying pizza. But yeah, that was uh, it, it. All started because we had a guy who loved like it was <laughs> guy that w- he, he would show up off duty to the fire and like not even go in. Then you'd watch the news at night, and he's like, "Yeah, it was a big one," and, and he he just was looking for the cameras. <laughs> so he had to start buying. So it was basically a way to get that poor guy who just loved to have a moment in the spotlight right. to buy dinner for yeah. everyone all the time. Okay. Yeah, it began as the Don Hughes rule, okay. and then over the years, it became that if you're on the on the news, then you have to buy dinner rule. Um, <laughs> but if you're just running by in the background, it doesn't count. You have to put yourself no. front and center and be talking. Yeah, you have to be okay. talking into a microphone. Okay. And, and, it, and the game gets harder as you progress through the ranks uh-huh. because as as like you become like the chief, then they really want to talk to you, and it's 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 increasingly ruder for you to tell them that you have right. no comment. Pu- you actually owe one. the public a comment, but at the same time, it's so costly <laughs> right. for you. Right. It's it's been a, it's been a you know my dogs had to go to the vet this week. It's I can't afford pizza for nine guys. So. Right. So no comment no, to the public who pays to... taxes that pay my salary and wants right. to know what happens, sir, yeah. with this deadly fire. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, I'm going to have to decline. Uh, so, so what is so you 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 start off as an author. Now I'm going to go out on a limb based on two of your books and say that did you spend some time living in Italy, or were you just interested in Italy? 
I did live in Italy. <laughs> I'm like, why are you bringing up? Don't bring up this book. Are, Nobody are read sure? this book. <laughs> Do not read this book. <laughs> See, that, that's my investigative yeah. prowess. Your investigative right prowess. You looked at <laughs> yeah, Amazon that. and you were like, what's this book from 2008? <laughs> yeah. She wrote two books, both have about an Italian dog and yeah. an Italian wine. I was going family. to write the Italian wine guy's book for him with him. And then I ended up in Italy traveling around. And then I ended up in a sheep farming village. And I met a sheep farmer and we didn't, you know, I didn't speak Italian, didn't speak English, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. And then we learned each other's languages eventually, and it wasn't a good idea, it turned out. (laughs) But I did get a dog out of it, who I brought back to America and um, who lived to the ripe old age of 15. Yeah. And wrote a a book about that. And I did write a book about that long ago. (laughs) Yes. Is there anything that's happened in your life significant that you haven't written a book about? Um. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm just just trying to get to know Absolutely, you. I, I know now yes. that you've gone to Italy. You had a dog for 15 yeah. years. You you learned Italian. I did. Uh, I got married. I moved to South Africa. I moved to Ethiopia. I moved back. I to I could have figured York. out the South Africa part. The South Africa part. Um, I had two daughters. Um, haven't written about any of that. Yeah. None of that non-important None of that. stuff. None of that stuff. None of that stuff. <laughs> right. So what? So let's back up. Like, how did you end up in Italy? Like, did you go to school to be an author? Was it like an aspiring dream? Like, how do you go from from Justine in high school to Justine learning Italian in a sheep village in yeah. Italy? <laughs> um, I. It's a good question. I went to college, and I was in college, and I wrote. I think I faxed a letter to the editor in chief of <laughs> Oprah Magazine. Um, uh-huh. I was just looking for a job in. With words, I guess. And I think I maybe yeah. applied to some jobs and I remember faxing, sort of cold faxing a letter. <laughs> maybe I didn't fax it, but I feel like there was a fax involved. That I, If you fact checked me, that might not be true. <laughs> um, and they like, I don't know, I was hired as an assistant there. I worked there for a few years. Um, I am not great at working for people, I think, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, and so I just didn't really love working in an office, you know, um, and I didn't shine. I was told that I was not living my best work life. Did, so, yeah. did you get fired by Oprah? I did not Does get fired. Does story end with you getting fired I did fired not get fired. Oprah? I went to Oprah's birthday, which is also my birthday, and I received a hug from her, which was very warm and smelled very delicious. Um, but, she, it, but she did not work at the magazine. Her hug smelled delicious. Uh, Oprah smelled delicious. Oprah's delicious smelling. <laughs> she gave me a big <laughs> okay. hug. So those are the highlights. Um <laughs> And then I just thought, you know, this really isn't for me. Like, I I probably shouldn't be working in a you know corporate structure. Uh huh. And I, you know, met this wine seller who needed a co-writer for his book. Um. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, I was making a pittance no matter what I did. So I was like, sure, like I'll I'll write that. And I kind of he he took me around Italy to, I guess, meet wine makers and help show me his life and we wrote that book and then when i was there i i I met this guy i ended up staying there for a while (laughs) i found the dog came back and then like needed to i guess you know make some more make a living basically so i was like living Uh on some island out long island i was living on with this dog and i wrote that that book long island it wasn't really i mean maybe it's not even a line and maybe it's not even an is it an island i guess it technically must be I, I don't think they'd call it Long Island if it wasn't, but I, right. I don't know. Yeah. 
it didn't feel like I was going to an island. It just felt like I was driving from Manhattan. But anyways, mm-hmm. I ended up living there for a little while um, and just kind of freelanced. Um, and that's how I end. like, that's basically it. I ended up uh, meeting my husband. He is South African and he wanted to go back to South Africa for a little while. So we ended up moving there and I needed to write something there, which is how I found this story about this woman named Amy Beale, who was, um, I was really fascinated by South African townships. I'm not sure if you're familiar with South African townships, but they um, are an apartheid era creation where the government basically like separated people into, I I believe it was four races that they defined as races and they would put them in different like actual areas and kind of homelands. And the townships were for black people. Um, But of course, even after apartheid, they remained. And I was very curious about the history of this. I could see them when I was, you know, driving back and forth. And I learned about the story about this American woman named Amy Beale, who was killed near the end of apartheid. And I started looking into it. I thought it would be kind of an inspirational story because her mom sort of forgave the men who were convicted of her murder. And they forged ahead in the new South Africa. But it became an investigate, a piece of five-year-long investigative journalism which is when I was like, oh, I think I'm a journalist. That seems to be the right fit. And right. that was 2011. <laughs> so since then, that's what I've been doing. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it, and you have uh, you, you have won and been finalist for multiple journalism awards throughout your career. So you seem to be a good journalist. <laughs> Thanks. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there I are people, <laughs> yeah. people in the journalist world that think that you are a good journalist. Uh, I, I want to circle back to some of the work that you're talking about now because I, I find it really interesting. The women in in prison, like you said, two hundred thirty thousand women are in American prisons. Uh, I have I've never done any like deep dive study into it, but I've seen like a lot of statistics that you might be able to to share or expand upon. Like I've looked at cases where there seems to be an overwhelming lopsided majority of women who are convicted when 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 say a husband is killed a woman will get convicted many more times uh than if a wife is killed then the husband would get convicted i've seen um studies where the like if if a child dies um things like things like a like a like a child being left in a car like the stats are staggering if it was a man who left the child in the car more times than not it's deemed an accident and if a woman is the one that does it, then it ends up being like murder charges filed or manslaughter charges filed. And the sentiment has always been that like people have this like weird bias that because you're a woman, you must be motherly and you have more responsibility. D- does any of that ring tr- ring true to you or am I just repeating what some other podcaster said? No, I mean, no that, that's really interesting. I, I didn't I didn't <laughs> I didn't know about that. Um I don't like see I find the data on uh, on the criminal legal system really conf- like very sparse. We don't have very much. Mm-hmm. But I think that that idea of women being held particularly responsible um for example for like a, a child's death is really interesting. There's a type of law called a failure to protect law that's used in in just horrible ways in which you'll have a woman I I've seen this quite a bit who's they were in a relationship with an abusive man and they were being abused and he was also abusing their, her child or their child and he kills the child. And then she is incarcerated often for longer than he's actually incarcerated. 
So that's one that's one thing we sort of see she's because she failed to protect the child. And if you look at the nuance of a lot of these cases, it's like sometimes she wasn't even there. Sometimes it would have I mean, sometimes I've seen I've seen, you know, interviews with the woman after totally beaten up. Like she has two black eyes, a split lip, like clearly <laughs> he, she was really injured during this and she's in prison for right. murder of this child, her child. And another thing that you, we kind of see is something called the girlfriend problem, which is where a woman will be involved with a man who is in some sort of criminal circle. I say that very broadly. Um, mm-hmm. And when and say it's a drug, something having to do with drugs, she's not drug dealing. She's not doing any of that. But when they're arrested, he just has more information. He's more connected and he knows how to work the system better. So he has a lot more to offer. So he can often get out of that, you know, make a deal, make a plea, knows how to do it. And she doesn't have anything to offer because she's not really that involved. And she gets all this time. So that's called right. like the girlfriend problem. That That's that's it's so interesting. And it, it's you know, what you were talking about with the uh, failure to protect laws. That's kind of the same sentiment that I have. It's like they, they have this weird, as Americans at least, this weird bias towards well, it's a mom's job to take care of a kid, and we, you know, like, I, it, like at my house, my wife and I, wife and I don't have. We're like opposite gender roles in most things. People make fun of us for it, so like, we, so I don't get it. Like we were, we were some friends having dinner the other day, and the guy was talk was was bitching about his wife never cooking dinner and they have to eat out all the time. And he's he works from home, and I was, <laughs> and it was like I was the weirdo because I'm like, why aren't you cooking dinner? Like what? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like what? But it's it weird, like that that sentiment tends to that it it there's ripples of it through our our criminal justice system. The other, and I think the statistic I was it wasn't necessarily when the husband is killed. It was uh, had more to do with if I'm remembering correctly, if the husband is killed and the and the woman has had an affair. Oh, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, compared to you know the opposite with men, it's it's like. It's like it's almost expected or it's it's not it, – jurors don't weigh that information as heavily if it's a man was – it's almost like they're just like, well, yeah, men have affairs. That's no reason to kill anybody. But if a woman does it, it's like, oh, my God, she was having an affair, so she must have killed her husband. It's just it's just a weird a, a weird bias, I think. I think it's also – there's a lot of like heat of – like sort of crime of passion where it's like, you know – if if there's any perception that she cheated, well, yeah, like who wouldn't kill her? You know, on the other flip side mm-hmm. of that, and a lot of forgiveness from jurors for that. But you know, this stuff, and and we talk about this. I don't think on episode one that you listen to, but as we get into the show, we talk a lot about how um, this is baked into our this is written into our laws. Like our our laws are based on old sort of puritanical English jurists who. Um, we're totally down with the witch trials. We're like really mm-hmm. like doing precursors to these witch trials and who also would very much, ma- I mean, said because they were men of their time that credibility, uh, that, that chastity is related to veracity when it comes to a woman. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, the more chaste a woman, the more virginal, the more truthful. I mean, and that was like a written into law. And until I think the 1980s, if a woman said she was raped, you would parade through the courtroom um, witnesses who would say that she was promiscuous. And that would be like 
so there, therefore she couldn't have been raped. And, you know, we have marital rape exception in our laws where, mm-hmm. and that's from the old, these, old, I mean, I, I don't know if we still have it. It's still treated with leniency, but until like the nineties and even today, there's loopholes where you just can't be raped within a partnership. Once you give consent by being with someone, that consent is forever. And that used to be in strict law. Like you, it was, it was said something in like old English, something like, wherefore, you know, she has given, like signed into this marital contract, she forever gives consent and it cannot be revoked. That was just the law. So these things are, uh-huh. you know, they unravel into every part of our system and into our society. Um, but for a long time, and I would say still at some level, that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's, I don't believe that, but that has been written into right. what we're allowed to do. Yeah, and, it, and it's certainly like embedded into the minds of, we see it in, in, in jurors and the, you know, those laws, you know, it, the way things went in the, up through the eighties and it continued today better, but not fixed. You know, that, that's the reason that, that sexual assaults are like the most underreported crime in the country. And, and they're, it would seem they could be provable. It's, it's a crime where there's typically forensic evidence and things, but. At the same time, then there's this whole, well, was it really not consensual? It's his word against mine, and I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through reliving what my, you know, it, it shouldn't be a defense at all if someone is, you know, quote unquote promiscuous that, you know, because they've chosen these partners, that doesn't mean that anybody just gets to decide that, well, I'm choosing you. So since you typically choose multiple partners, then I just get to. Yeah, I mean, it's just the whole idea of the perfect victim, which is a lot about what, believe her, the show is about. It's the idea that, you know, who's the perfect victim? We have all of these rules as to, right? and and often the perfect victim is dead. Like, that's one way to prove that you're the perfect victim. Um, right. <laughs> well, that goes so much, like, we, we, I was just talking about this with another podcaster um, yesterday, Jamie Pultz uh, is an Australian podcaster. We were just talking about how, you know, like like stalking and domestic violence go that way. You know, we just saw it recently. I don't, you know, I don't know how compared to when this airs, but in the Gabby Petito case, where the police were actually on scene and saw what was going on. But and he told a Jamie told a story about when he, when he was a police officer, how like he was in a domestic violence situation, and you know the the woman you know changed her mind and didn't want to report, and his hands were tied, and then she ends up dead. And and it's the same thing. Yeah, that's like the, the perfect victim. They're afraid. It's so hard to prove and they don't want to go through it. And yeah, they become the perfect victim when that continues to escalate because nobody does anything about it until they're dead. And right. then it's like, oh, now we have a- What a tragedy. We can close this case. So sad. Yeah. If only, you know, if only mm-hmm. it had been stopped sooner, except that we didn't. <laughs> and right, now she's right. dead. Or she's alive, as in the case of Nikki Adamondo. She didn't die. And then that's a whole other, that's a whole other problem, which is a lot of what I look at in my work. It's like, what happens when she doesn't die? You know? Right. And so let's talk, I, I want to talk about the podcast. It's called Be- Believe Her. Uh, it, it's brought to us by the podcast network, Lemonada. Uh, you may have heard of them. They had other, they've, this is their 16th podcast. They've, they put out Good Grief, Last Day, uh, No One Is Coming to Save Us. Those are some titles that you may be familiar with. And we're about to launch. What is the launch date for Believe Her? October 21st, the first two episodes drop, and then one a week for a total of six, so for another month after that, yeah. Right, and I I believe we have worked out with Erica that this episode should be dropping 
the day before on October 20th. So as you're listening to this in the True Crime Binge (laughs) Time Machine, tomorrow is the release of the first two episodes of Believe Her. As I said, I've heard the first episode. It's fantastic. Can't wait to hear the second one. But tell us a little bit about the – well, first of all, how did you – so so you kind of became a podcaster. You were – you were a journalist, you were in Italy, you were writing books, and then now you're a podcaster. How did that come to be? Did someone reach out to you about about something you'd written? So when I was doing this, I was writing uh, an initial article on the Nikki Adamando case, which is what this podcast is about. And I was doing this sort of deep dive into it. And I was going around this town of Poughkeepsie, New York, which is this upstate New York town where this uh, killing took place, um, where this woman named Nicole Adamando killed her partner, a man named Chris Grover, who she said had really terribly abused her. She said it was self-defense. And I went to look into this case. And I reported it like it was just a an insane sort of 18-month endeavor of reporting. But as I was doing it, I was like, and I was doing long form, like a very long piece. But uh-huh. I was like, this just is not at all able to be contained in 9,000 words. Like this is a crazy story. And everyone had these really big characters and they all had these kind of New York-y mm-hmm. accents. And every time you would look after, you would kind of travel after one um, part of the case, it would open up to like 46 different things. And I just thought this really is a podcast. Like I wasn't a podcaster, but I I do love them. And I and I just recognize that this medium, it, it couldn't be contained in print, which is what I usually do. It, right. ha- it really would be great for a podcast. Um, I think I shopped it around places and everyone said, sorry. And that was a weird thing that I had that was happening at that time. This topic, this subject matter for a couple of years when I was trying to say, everybody, there's something crazy happening in women's prisons. Um, everywhere I went, they were like, we don't care. You know, we don't care. No, thank you. No response. Um, And it's really switched around lately. People are really, really interested in this stuff. But um, I wrote, so I had plotted out a podcast. I had this whole idea, but it just never happened. And then um, my my book, uh, We Are Not Such Things, was published by Random House in 2016. That's that book about South Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was published by an imprint there called Spiegel and Grau. Spiegel and Grau has since made their own independent uh, multimedia publishing platform, I want to say. They're very new now. Mm-hmm. It's the same people. And they're doing all sorts of stories, like they're making stories. And so my editor came to me and she said, hey, do you want to do a podcast? And I was like, Abs- yes, I've actually been keeping tape and have this whole plan and I've been trying to, I gave up, but yes. Right. And then they kind of um, tried to find the, the, it's two women and they wanted, they, they, went everywhere to find like who could, but we, you know, we know the story should be a podcast, but like, we don't actually know how to make a podcast. So can someone help mm-hmm. us? So they ended up partnering <laughs> with Lemonada. It's also run by two women and they really got along. And that's that. So Lemonada came in and kind of um, partnered with Spiegel and Grau to, I guess, to, to kind of produce Lemonada was like the producer of this um, podcast. And that was, they gave me a producer and then we made a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, they do a great job with production because the, the the sound the sound design, the sound quality, everything is 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 amazing. So we are talking about the case of of Nikki Adamando. That's, That's good. how her name is pronounced. Yeah. Um, she was a 28 year old stay at home mother, 
And she's currently serving, um, is it, I, I have two things here. I see ni- 19 to life, and then I see 29 years in prison. What was her, her sentence? Uh, she was convicted, and she was initially sentenced to 19 to life. Okay. Yeah, and, and she was convicted for murdering uh, her boyfriend and the, the father of her children, Chris Grover. Who'd been abusing her? So, if you, you kind of give us the the details of the case as much as you can give us without giving away what's coming on the podcast. Yeah, the details are of the case are that in September 2017, Nicole Adamando shot Chris Grover in the head in their home at a you know. Actually, you know what? It was uh, September 27th, leading into September 28th, 2017. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> the day that we're talking. <laughs> Um, oh wow! Yeah. I was like, <laughs> it's a, it's a, I was like what's yeah, so significant I know. about well, that? I was just That's looking. today, exactly. Yeah. So um, it's it's like today. How many years ago is that? Some four years ago. Four years ago, basically mm-hmm. today. You know, the time is mm-hmm. not exactly. I'm not quite sure exactly when, but yeah. Um, they had two children. She was arrested. Uh, she was put to, in jail while you know police and prosecutors investigated. Um, they charged her with murder. She contended that it was self-defense and that she had been abused for many, many years by Chris Grover, and she had an enormous amount of evidence of that. And yet after a month-long trial, she was convicted of murder and is now in prison. And the podcast looks, and this is not unusual, what happened to her, right? Nikki's like one of many, of thousands. Um, And so the podcast... A, looks at, like, how did this happen? How did this go down? What happened? What, you know, because the prosecution and the cops, they say she's a master manipulator. She's a murderer. Mm -hmm. She's essentially a slut. Um, She's a malingerer. She plotted this out. And Nikki Adamando says, no, I have all this evidence of being, like, horribly abused, both sexually and physically for many years, and all these people who saw and so, and yet she's in prison. So how, how did that come to be? We, we kind of unravel that. We, we unravel her early life. We look at her early life and, and these threads of trauma and these family, mm-hmm. these generational traumas and families. And then we look at like what comes next because that 19 to life isn't the end. There's like a whole next stage of what's going on and what's evolving and changing and unfolding and how and why. So that's kind of the six episodes, and it, it goes back in time, it goes forward, it, it really looks deeply at the, the night of the incident and everything that came before and the context and the legal stuff and all of that. Yeah, and, and in regards to like some of the abuse and stuff, was, it, was, was CPS at their house, was it that day or, or the day before that like CPS had just been there right before this happened, right? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it was the 27th of September. When mm-hmm. CPS arrived at the house to investigate reports that the mother, Nikki Edamondo, was always bruised and that the son seemed anxious, the four-year-old son. And they came to the house and they found nothing to cause them to like, take the kids. And then the killing happened within, within 20, like maybe 12 hours. You know, I, I don't remember the exact time, but like certainly in less than a day, the, right. the, the killing, the shooting happened. Yeah, it's insane. There, there is, from what I've read so far, there and, and listened to, there, there's so many obvious signs of abuse, and and a lot of it comes down to some of the stuff I deal with on my other show, Truth and Justice. That with with any case was some 
seemed like some pretty dirty tactics by the police. You know, just, just listening to some of the interview that you share in her her police interview that you shared during episode one it was just so frustrating to listen to. It's like those classic police tactics trying to convince you not to get a lawyer and to keep talking. And she said, you know, she's she'd been awake for what, 48 hours at that point. She'd just been through a massive trauma and she's nervous and she's scared and and they're they're drawing information and she's rambling. And they again they've convinced her not to get a lawyer, to waive her rights, to keep talking. And she kind of, you know, she 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 set her own trap sort of during that that conversation. Yeah, I do you think you think she did? I, not enough to convict her. I no, I don't think so. But 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 enough to give the police, you know, when when she couldn't clearly say yes, he was abusing me and that's why I shot him, uh, you know, or that he was attacking me in that moment. You know, she eventually was able to give the story of of what happened, but it was jumbled up. I've just I've just seen that, you know, I, and I don't know how this case plays out. I've only heard the first episode, but I, I know from studying police tactics and interrogations like that and how they're used in prosecutions, I can already, like, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, no, 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 stop talking, right? stop talking. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 you have a dead body, you have a dead body. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, but it's funny, he says on there, I think that the cop says something like, you've seen a, a cop show, you know, you know, have you, you know, Miranda writes, and she's like, no, like, she really ha- hadn't. And I thought, yeah, she had no you, clue. You've never seen it. I mean, as somebody who's who watched like all, every CSI and like every law and order, and I'm like, you've never seen a cop show, but she really had, you know, she really hadn't. And I think I talked to her quite recently, and she was mentioning that she, um, Somebody showed her, like, in prison, there was a prince was on TV. And she's like, who's that? Mm-hmm. She goes, who's that? They're like, prince. Oh, wow. So, very like, sheltered. Yeah. Like, I just, <laughs> I don't know. She had her kids. She was, she did gymnastics. She was like a preschool teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she didn't know about Miranda rights. She didn't know who Prince was. She just wasn't worldly. Well, the, at least the cop was, was nice enough to explain to her that what Miranda rights are are um, a formality, I yeah, believe is how just a formality. Just They're a form- just a formality <laughs> for you to waive these rights. Everybody's doing it. Just Everybody. do it. I just, <laughs> like, I, I want to go through my- it. Everyone cool is waving their Miranda rights. It's very yeah, chic like, to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be one of those losers who doesn't. Who doesn't. Own- <laughs> yeah, like, he just convinced her, like, it was very clear immediately she didn't understand what it was. He didn't explain to her that, you know, like, th- that this is your constitutional right. You don't have to speak to me. You can have a lawyer present. He slides it in front of her and says, Psh, this is, you know, you've seen it on TV. It's a formality. She even says, she's like, oh, it's just a formality then? So I just signs away and then, you know, talks herself into a corner, essentially. I mean, not so, I mean, there, there's, there's obviously many more layers to the case, but that's just something that I, it's a pet peeve of mine. I mean, later I somehow. <laughs> Um, they, they also, the prosecutor also somehow convinced and, and people were convinced to do this, um, all these people to go down and give sworn depositions under oath Mm -hmm. prior to the trial. Um, so that was also, you know, perhaps not like with a transcriptionist there sworn. Um, Mm -hmm. and then they would have to go testify and their testimony couldn't contradict these kind of sworn depositions that were given. It yeah. was, I mean, there was so much where you're just like, no, guys, guys, no, don't, don't. And people just, they, they do it because the police said to do it. And I just, I always say that and it's completely off topic, but it, not really. But 
I always said, like, what if our system was set up so that if you get arrested for something, you're put in a holding cell. Police are not allowed to talk to you because they're basically they're saying you're going to remain silent and you're going to have an attorney. And the only way that they can talk to you is if you request to sign off of your rights and talk to them. That's a great idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. You should I put mean, forth no, that. No cop would agree with that because they're yeah, like, well, yeah, what yeah. if they're guilty and we need to talk to them? It's like, what? Well, I mean, if they're guilty. Then you should you be able to prove yeah, it Yeah, figure evidence. it out. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, you should put right, that forth that out. bill. You should put forth a bill. I think that sounds like a good. Well, I do have the ear of many legislators. Okay. So I'll, I'll make sure I, none of them, no, nobody they cares what care. I have to say. No. Uh, but I'd like to rant and rave about <laughs> okay. how I think that we could fix the system. And that, I, how many wrongful convictions would there be less? If people weren't talking to the police, I've, I just, I just, I just recently saw a, a comedian, uh, Tom Segura, and he he talks about how he watches like forty eight hours, and he's just blown away at how easy these guys break. You know, it'd be like, well, I uh, we heard that the perpetrator had a blue shirt on. He's like, okay, I, I stabbed did it. Him. It was, it yeah. was me. <laughs> I know. He's like, what? Like, no, <laughs> no, why no, 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 wait. You, like you killed. <laughs> yeah. Did you like? Did you even? I mean, yeah. I mean, the balance of power is ridiculous in those rooms, right? Um, mm-hmm. And But I think also, I mean, for her and for like a lot of people in that position, I would guess you're like, I'm, I don't have anything to hide. You know, I think that's genuinely how she felt. Like she, she felt like, yeah. obviously, you know, this is self-defense, right? I mean, she was bleeding. She was. Yeah. It, well, she, the, the way you just said that, she said it exactly like that. You heard it in the recording. She yeah. said, but I mean, this is, this is obviously self-defense, right? And the guy's like, well, I can't say it. I mean, I couldn't yeah. assess that right now. But, you know, they right. it's its very interesting because um, in the in the dash cam footage, which it, it doesn't go in the show in full, um, you know, she ends up kind of waving to a police officer. He's, she gets out of a car and kind of approaches him after this happens. She's in her car uh, at a stoplight not knowing what to do. Uh-huh. Um, in between a friend's house and the police station. I, I My understanding is she was kind of going back and forth, not knowing what to do. A, mm-hmm. a cop pulls up behind her thinking that she's a um, asleep in the car. And he, 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 she's really just kind of sitting there with her two kids. He, What do you do at an air horn? You run, run an air horn? But, but, Honk it, I, I don't think so. Isn't it? Don't you kind of... Anyways, the air you horn pull goes. It. Pull the chain. Pull yeah. the whatever. <laughs> push the air horn button. Um, and she gets out and kind of talks to him. And for a long time there, for two hours, they're talking at that stoplight. She talks before she gets to the questioning room. She talks for two hours on the side of the road with police. And I've, from my perspective, I've watched it and I sort of, she seems to me to be f- truthful. She's just telling mm-hmm. them what happened. And the officer is very polite as they are. And then at the end of that, he goes back to his radio or to a cell phone. I think it's, uh, we don't know what happened on the other end of the line? Like that's uh-huh. never been tracked down. And he says something like, "The more she talks, like the more I don't think it's what she says." But I was kind of like, f- based on what? Like you just introduced that you just random officer introduced that. Uh-huh. Like I don't think so. Based on what you know? And and I think there's that cops don't trust anyone. They don't believe anyone. Right? That's that's the way right. it plays out. Um, so they they already, you know, they already don't believe you once you get to the police station and really having a, you know, somebody on a couch with a gunshot wound to the head. 
already really sets you up where they're just not curious <laughs> as to your no. side of things, right? Um, yeah. Well, especially like, like that. They, they don't have a question about who killed him. No, it's not a whodunit. It's, the show is not a whodunit. Right. The story is not a whodunit. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. not in the classic it's all, sense. It's just about why. How does this happen? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. What? Well, that's, a th- yeah. that's the thing is is rewind, right? Like, this is a tragic situation. She's definitely in a in a tragic fight to try to prove that it was self-defense and all this. But what if the problem what – if, what if someone intervened a, a week before that, a month before that, a day before that? What if CPS had done something? Well, they all thought she was a victim. A lot of systems were involved. Everyone thinks right. you're a victim until you don't mm-hmm. die. Right. Then now you're the perpetrator. Now you're the perpetrator. And we don't have yeah. – there is no – that is – the fact that we don't have like a, a system in which there's some gray area, like you got to pick one, you know? Mm-hmm. And if there's a dead body, you pick, if there's a dead body and you did it, perpetrator. And there, and we then, but we're looking really a lot in the show at like the con, what is the context of these stories? Mm-hmm. Which I think works for all of these, you know, crime stories. Like, what's the context in which? These things happen, the life context, the continuous context. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you really cared about the context and you really looked at that and you really wanted to make change, you would make change way before anyone ended up dead. Like long, it, you would front end solution, not 2.3 million people in prison solution. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I was just thinking as you were, as you were talking I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder what the statistics are for women in in Nikki's situation who killed a man because they were being abused. Their conviction rate or percentage compared to, say, an angry father who killed someone who abused their daughter. Yeah, that's a good question. How would you ever find that the, that those statistics? But I don't, I don't know that you could. But I just I think of I've seen those cases where like the guy gets out. Certainly not self defense, but you know, sympathetic jury called a sympathetic jury or whatever it is, where someone gets off because you know there's this righteous indignation. You 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 abused my daughter, and so I killed him. But if it's the woman, well, he abused me, so I killed him. All of a sudden, it's a different story. I'm not saying what's right or wrong in either context, but. I, I bet you there's a difference there. The question is really, if he abused you so badly, then would you really be strong enough to kill him? You know, and, and it's like, well, no. Like, if you're abused, you die, you get killed. If you kill, yeah. it's like people, you can't, nobody can conceive of how that would be. Like, abused people don't use force to defend themselves. They're just these, like, endless victims. Their job is to be Their abused. Their job is to be abused. Like, you're not, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean... <laughs> it's it's nuts and it's frustrating and then and then the the stupid questions that come along with it too well if he was abusing you why didn't you leave like that's so easy especially like me like a man to look at it and be like well this is stupid if he was so abused when he went to work why didn't you just leave you know you could just leave like nobody nobody factors in not nobody but people don't factor in like the emotional and mental trauma and the gaslighting and the manipulation and everything that goes in i, I have people that i'm very close to that have been through these relationships for decades when they were either physically, emotionally abused and just they 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 don't leave for all those reasons. But it's so easy to sit back and say, well, she didn't need to kill him. She could have just left. That's pretty much a direct quote from a lot of people at this trial. But, you know, what's interesting mm-hmm. is when you say, like, especially a man to say that, 
I mean, this was a female prosecutor and this was a heavily female jury. And there's something to be said for the perspective, that sort of perspective, which is like, well, I've, I could do it. So why couldn't you? I mean, that's right. That really figured in well, uh, you know, um, you know, people really make a mess of their lives. Didn't need to come to this. Well, no, <laughs> like, yeah, no, it really didn't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, certainly a bit. We we go a lot into like, why didn't she leave? Um, could she have left? Because that was always the thing. Like, she could have lived, she could have died, or she could have left. Um, mm-hmm. Could she have? And we we look into really unravel if she could have, um, and and mm-hmm. what that question means when we ask it or assume it. Well, that's great. Well, I, I cannot wait to hear the rest of it. I don't want to go any further to give any any more away. I don't want to spoil it for myself. Uh, but I'm excited in the in the, in our time machine tomorrow time machine when tomorrow. both of these episode drops. Um, so her name is Justine, not Justin, Justine Vanderloon. The podcast is called Believe Her. It airs tomorrow, the 21st of October. The first two episodes will be out. Check it out. I'm sure it's going to be a big binge for all of you. And Justine, thank you so much for both the podcast and the work you do and for being a guest. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bob. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.